As a software developer, what's the most important application on your computer? If your answer is Microsoft Outlook, my heart goes out to you. Stay strong. But for most of us, it's probably a toss-up between our web browser and code editors. And for editors, there's basically two camps. There's the lightweight, smart text editor, such as Vim, Emacs, and Sublime Text, and heavyweight but highly functional IDEs, such as PyDev and PyCharm. This week, you'll meet Dmitry Trofimov, who's one of the main developers behind one of my favorite editors, PyCharm. This is episode number 36 of Talk Python to Me, recorded November 11th, 2015. I'm a developer in many senses of the word, because I make these applications, but I also use these verbs to make this music. I construct it line by line, just like when I'm coding another software design. In both cases, it's about design patterns. Anyone can get the job done. It's the execution that matters. I have many interests. Sometimes Welcome to Talk Python to Me, a weekly podcast on Python, the language, the libraries, the ecosystem, and the personalities. This is your host, Michael Kennedy. Follow me on Twitter where I'm at mkennedy. Keep up with the show and listen to past episodes at talkpython.fm and follow the show on Twitter via at talkpython. This episode is brought to you by Hired and Opbeat. Thank them for supporting the show on Twitter via at hired underscore HQ and at opbeat. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode. I have a few quick comments before we get to the interview. Some of the features we talk about are better understood visually rather than described in audio. And for that reason and others, I decided to write a blog post visually highlighting some of these concepts. This post is called Nine Reasons You Should Be Using PyCharm. If you're interested, check it out at bit.ly slash whypycharm. Last but not least, the PyCharm team at JetBrains offered to give away three annual subscriptions to PyCharm Professional. I'll do the drawing Monday, December 7th. That's a week from the release date of this podcast. All you have to do to be eligible is become a friend of the show. Visit talkpython.fm and click friends of the show in the navigation bar and sign up. Now let's get on to the show. Let me introduce Dmitry. Dmitry Trofimov currently leads the development of PyCharm, a popular Python IDE by JetBrains. Dmitry is passionate about automation and software tooling. Before PyCharm, he implemented many different tools for a variety of companies, including a visual site scraper generator, a model to code mapper, and even a generator for hardware used in submarines. In his spare time, he's a committed running enthusiast and triathlete. Dimitri lives in Munich, Germany. Dimitri, welcome to the show. Hi, Mike. Hi. Uh, I'm really excited to talk about PyCharm and JetBrains and editors and tooling for Python with you today. It's going to be great. Yeah, sure. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. So before we dig into all that, let's start at the beginning. How'd you get into programming in Python. What's your story? That was uh, long ago, actually. Um, my first programming experience was uh, when I was something about seven years old. Uh, back then, uh, I had a ZX Spectrum computer, and it was possible to program it with Sinclair Basic. Uh, so I read a book about programming in Basic and uh, found some source program inside the book, and uh, this program supposed to, to do something cool. So I sit down and typed all the program into the computer 
actually without full understanding how does it work. I was seven and I typed quite slow, so it took like, I don't know, like an, an hour or something to type that program in. And after I finished, I felt relief. But then when I tried to run it, it just failed, you know, so <laughs> it, it, of it, it even didn't start. <laughs> and I had no clue why the error message was totally unclear for me. And it was very frustrating. Nobody could help me because I was at home alone. And I, I felt uh, like it was, I was betrayed by the book, which I trusted. <laughs> so yeah, m maybe if I have started to learn programming, uh, Today, with Python and PyCharm, for example, uh, I would have much more pleasant experience. At least Python is a much, much better language. And PyCharm would hint me about which error I had and which is more important to where it was. So, yeah, maybe. But uh, my, my programming story didn't end there, obviously. Several years after I went into a computer class where I learned how to program Pascal, there was a brilliant teacher and uh, Turbo Pascal ID, <laughs> and I learned step by step. And at some point, I realized that uh, I could, can do computer programming in Pascal. Maybe, maybe that's why I'm fan of IDEs because of Turbo Pascal. I don't know. Maybe that could be an imprint for for me. <laughs> Was it a young, impressionable programmer? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So, how'd you go from Pascal to Python? Actually, from Pascal, I, I converted uh, to Java directly. So it was uh, C and Assembler uh, in the middle somewhere. And uh, then I've, I've, I've been doing a lot of Java. And at some point, um, I, I realized that I need to have a scripting language in my toolbox, but I couldn't choose which one. And um, I wrote one small project and several languages just to be able to compare them. I took Groovy, Ruby, Python, and Perl. Perl was a total disaster, but uh, <laughs> uh, others were uh, more or less uh, equal. And uh, but, but I remember my impression from Python. Um, that felt pretty much like uh, all other languages, but in the same time, uh, very different from them. And uh, everything felt uh, reasonable and easy there and I did like that so uh, since that I used Python from time to time and then um, I joined JetBrains to make a new IDE for Python called PyCharm. It was um, in early beta and uh, so I'm working on it till till now. It was five and a half years ago. That's really excellent and I've never heard people choosing a language the way you just described it, but it's such a good idea to say, look, I'm, I'm interested in learning this type of language, and it looks like there's these choices, four or five or six or whatever, and, and the idea of writing a simple program in each and then comparing the experience, that's, that's really cool. I, I think more people should adopt that. Yeah, I gained a lot of experience doing that, yeah, and, and it was fun. Yeah, I always kind of just gone with, you know, do the research, see what's popular, what are the capabilities, what are the pluses and minuses, and then I'll just dive into one and just try to learn it. I, I never did sit down and like do a bunch together and compare and contrast. That's cool. PyCharm. Um, before we get into PyCharm, maybe, you know, when I think about the company that makes PyCharm, JetBrains, where you work, I, I see you guys as one of the premier, if not the premier, uh, developer tool companies out there. Can you maybe just talk a little bit about what is JetBrains, what type of app, uh, apps and products you build? 
Yeah, sure. Uh, JetBrains um, is a company that uh, makes uh, tools for software developers, as you've said. And uh, currently, there are more than 500 people working there. And we have offices in St. Petersburg, Munich, Prague, and Boston. So the the, the two um, biggest development spots are in St. Petersburg and Munich. And uh, yeah, uh, we make uh, tools for software developers and actually being ourselves software developers, uh, th this allows us to, to make really good tools. You know, there is a culture in JetBrains so that everybody write uh, code. Even our sales, they do program a lot, actually. So uh, the company grows, but th this is very, this is amazing that this culture stays. And uh, Talking about our products, uh, of course, we have uh, many IDs like PyCharm, IntelliJ IDEA, RubyMine, PHPStorm, WebStorm, CLion, AppCore. So for basically for most major and popular languages, even if there is no IDE for a language, uh, there should be a plugin that is maintained by JetBrains or third party. So the IntelliJ platform is quite, quite diverse and solid yeah that's that seems to be kind of the foundation of most of your ides i, I kind of see you guys as the company that looks at what other software development systems are, are doing or built at and fixing the problems like you know microsoft makes visual studio and it has it's not bad but it has these issues and so you guys make resharper yeah exactly exactly and then, you know, Apple makes, Apple makes Xcode, but you're like, oh, this is not so great. So, uh, we can make this thing called AppCode and, and kind of do it better. So, uh, I, I really think that that's cool. And Python, there's not really a company that makes like an official tools chain for Python because it's obviously so organic and open source, but you kind of did that for the ecosystem with PyCharm, right? I talk about PyCharm a lot on the show and I wanted to have you guys on here because I really think the tools that you make for Python make a, a significant difference for people working in Python if they're willing, have the time and energy and interest to actually learn the tools. Tools are very important. I wanted also to add that um, many people know about our IDs, but uh, less people know that also we create um, other tools for software development. So we have a range of server-side tools. So that's like, uh, it is continuous uh, integration uh, called TeamCity. There is a bug tracker called Utrek, and uh, there is a code review tool called AppSource, and we even make our own GVM programming language called Kotlin. So every every area of software development, uh, we try to, to, to make a product in this area, too. And, and actually we use this product, and this allows us to make it good. Yeah, if you don't use the thing you're building, then you just, you know. Yeah. It, it's just not good, right? You have to use the thing that you're building to make it truly excellent. Sure, sure. All right, so I, like I said, I think most people know PyCharm, but maybe give us the 30-second elevator pitch. What is it? PyCharm is an IDE for Python. There are two editions of PyCharm. The first is PyCharm Community Edition that is free and open source, and it provides all basic functionality without any limitations. And there is a, a professional edition. It's not free, but it has many features uh, 
especially for professional development, like uh, support for web technologies, many languages like HTML, CSS, JavaScript, different JavaScript frameworks, uh, Python web frameworks like Django, Flask, Pyramid, Web2Py, and uh, a lot of uh, functionality like working with databases and working with uh, code on remote environments and profiling code coverage. This is this all in in uh, professional edition. Yeah, and you also have some cool database integration that I think we'll come back to in a little bit because it kind of blew my mind when I saw it. So I'm, I'm interested to ask you about it. One of the things that's cool about PyCharm, I think, is that it's really cross-platform. Yeah, that's true. Um, PyCharm, as well as IntelliJ platform, is implemented in Java. So it uh, basically runs everywhere where GVM can run. There are some parts uh, that are native, but they're not essential, essential for, for the, the main functionality, actually. And... Uh, there are three operational systems that are officially supported. It, it, it is Mac OS X, uh, Linux, and Windows. But uh, actually, I know that our users even manage to run PyCharm on some environments like Raspberry Pi. And, you know, it's funny because we have issues in our tracker that sound uh, like... Um, it's great uh, that I could run PyCharm on Raspberry Pi, but unfortunately, embedded terminal is not working. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in, in, in that case, so we just answer, okay, sorry for that. <laughs> but embedded terminal is also open source, so you can port it to Raspberry Pi, send us pull request, and <laughs> something like that. Yeah, that's really funny. Yeah. The fact that it runs on Raspberry Pi at all is, is pretty awesome. That, that people are saying, oh, this part doesn't work. It's like, <laughs> Did you really expect it all to work? But yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Uh, I've seen uh, somewhere, I think I even sent it on Twitter not too long ago, somebody had it running inside of a Docker container. <laughs> yeah, that, that's crazy. That's crazy. We, we um, just added support for Docker in the latest version, and um, so it, it was also a response like, oh, that's great, but what I want is to run PyCharm in Docker and then <laughs> run containers <laughs> from PyCharm. <laughs> Yeah, it was. It's very actually. Nice. I, I don't understand this uh, this uh, scenario yet, but I think I, I will try <laughs> it myself. <laughs> yeah, I, why? It, it's probably just because you can, right? But when you guys announce support for Docker, that's like you can create Docker containers that run your apps. Not you can run PyCharm within Docker containers. But you know, I guess someone got that working, which is cool. Yeah. So you said there's like 500 people at JetBrains. Yeah. Um, how? Yeah. How many people are actually part of the PyCharm initiative? Uh, there are 14 people working uh, directly on PyCharm. PyCharm is built upon IntelliJ platform. So um, if we count those people, so it adds like from 50 to 60 people more that, that are contributing directly to platform. But actually that is uh, not very easy to count because um, <clears throat> there are a lot of people who work on different ideas. For, for example, um, WebStorm, all functionality of, web, of WebStorm comes with, with PyCharm Professional Edition. So do we count as an IntelliJ platform or not? So that, that's difficult <laughs> to measure. Yeah, there's a lot of intersection between the different IDE teams like AppCode and WebStorm. And so, yeah, I can, I can see that that's tricky. Okay. So it's a pretty large team, full-time team working on, on PyCharm. Yeah. 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 
But by the way, we're very proud that uh, we 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 have uh, a proportion of uh, girls and guys like fifty fifty almost in our team. So that is really excellent. Cheers to you guys. That's great. So when I run PyCharm, you know, I said it's built on IntelliJ. Like, how much of the thing that is running that I'm working with is PyCharm, and how much of that is just IntelliJ with like a little understanding layer back into Python? Actually, all the IntelliJ platform is built that way that it is a language agnostic. So it's like a framework upon which you can write a parser and inspections. And um, But there is uh, actually no that strict um, separation. So When you're getting started, there's there's different ways to get started in Python, right? One way is to just type Python in your terminal or command prompt and then start entering stuff into the REPL. That's probably the least productive thing you can do, although it's the easiest to get started, right? Like you can create variables and import modules and and things like that, right? And then as you go up, you know, there's stuff like uh, editors like Vim and Emacs and Sublime Text where, you know, they're really nice editors, but they don't necessarily help you understand the standard library and things like that necessarily. And then you've got PyCharm, which which can help you with the language. Where do you think people should start? What are your what are your thoughts? Should is there a lot of value in starting sort of with no support? Or do you think it's more helpful to have like a really helpful environment even if you don't necessarily learn some of the details right away? Um, I think uh, that uh, the supportive environment is beneficial, actually. It even can help you to learn the language, and it assists you. So I, I would prefer to start with an ID. You know, we're both sort of self-selecting in that sense as well, but I, I kind of agree with you that, you know, it, it's great to memorize the API for things like requests or the string library. But, uh, you know, if, if I can just hit dot and type T and it shows me all the other options that maybe I'll have on strings, you know, that's, that's really helpful, right? Uh, as, as a new person. Yeah, sure. And you do memorize them actually, because uh, it, it just takes less time when you see it in code completion, not in Google, for example, or documentation. So you get, get information faster and you do memorize it. There's some cool plugins that I want to come back to later to talk about that as well. But another thing that's really challenging can be creating new types of projects. So if I want a new Flask website based on Bootstrap, or I want a a pyramid website based on the starter template, or or something like that. Can you talk about like, um, sort of what the the types of projects you can create in PyCharm as like starter projects? Um, yeah, sure. It's it, it's mostly all type of uh, <coughs> Python web framework. So it is uh, Django, Flask, Pyramid, Web2Py, and uh, also all kinds of pure web uh, projects. 
the, actually the, the main project that you can create in PyCharm is pure Python project. So you can just start with that, for example, and then you can add everything what you want. If you, if you know that you are going to develop Django project, then it's better to start with the Django project from the start because everything will be configured and you will have a template. Yeah, I think one of the things that people struggle with, and as you get experience, you forget that it's actually really hard. You're just like, oh, that's that's a little bit of extra work. But in the beginning, it can be really hard. So, you know, suppose I want to get started with Pyramid, right? Well, to get started with Pyramid, I can't just like create a file and start typing, you know, you know, create my WSGI app and, and here's my uh, handler configurations and so on. I've ha- I have to pip install Pyramid and the various dependencies. And then... I've got to know to use like pcreate, the the thing that'll generate the template starter code, or of course, write it from scratch, which is a lot of work. And that'll generate a whole bunch of stuff, a whole project structure. And then I've got to run, you know, the the setup configuration stuff because it's all treated like packages and so on. And I think people that are experienced with Python sort of forget how non-obvious that part is, right? But having it just as a thing you click, I'd like a new pyramid app and all that stuff happens. You know, that's that's really cool. I, I think that's one of the things that's nice about like, creating new projects with uh, PyCharm is, is a lot of that configuration stuff and dependency stuff is, is handled all in one shot. This episode is brought to you by Hired. Hired is a two-sided, curated marketplace that connects the world's knowledge workers to the best opportunities. Each offer you receive has salary and equity presented right up front, and you can view the offers to accept or reject them before you even talk to the company. Typically, candidates receive five or more offers in just the first week, and there are no obligations, ever. Sounds pretty awesome, doesn't it? Well, did I mention there's a signing bonus? Everyone who accepts a job from Hired gets a $2,000 signing bonus. And as Talk Python listeners, it gets way sweeter. Use the link hired.com slash talkpython to me, and Hired will double the signing bonus to $4,000. Opportunities knocking. Visit hired.com slash talkpython to me and answer the call. True, but also you can start, uh, you go and go step by step with PyCharm. So you can just uh, create pure Python project or you can just open uh, a directory with with and create file there and then start typing something. And when you have a usage of a pyramid, PyCharm will offer you to, to install this uh, package from PyPI. So you can do that. And so... Um, it's it's um, not that strict that if you if you develop a pyramid you need to start from pyramid project and generate everything. Right, that's true. So it's possible that it's helpful for you, but if you already have like a pyramid website, you can just grab the directory. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, sure. Throw it, on, yeah. throw it on PyCharm, then it'll it'll sort of be as if you had created it, right? Yeah, PyCharm will um, understand the structure of your project so that it it is actually pyramid project and will configure pretty much of everything. I don't really want to necessarily just like go through all the features, but a, a pie charm, but you know, maybe you could talk about a couple of favorites. Like for example, I think my two favorite features in PyCharm 
are the sort of smart IntelliSense, right? So it, I get code completion across all the files in my project, as well as all the packages that I've installed in my environment and the standard library and so on. So that sort of IntelliSense is really cool. And then the sort of navigation stuff, right? So I can say, oh, here's a function being called on some object. Take me to its implementation. What, what are your favorites? Actually, I also like uh, IntelliSense and navigation, but m my favorite is definitely the debugger. I, I, I don't know, maybe since those days when I wrote Pascal and Turbo Pascal at DEI, I always like the ability to dive into a running program and see what is actually happening there. So, and I'm proud that PyCharm has a very solid debugger and um, we even have some almost unique features like debugging of sub-processes and debugging of applications on, on remote environments. So I, I like this part most. Actually, we have um, quite, quite good um, version control support, JIT support, for example. So it's it's not bad. I, I, I would even say amazing, <laughs> but it could be considered a bit immodest from a JetBrains person. But yes, I like our JIT integration. And my favorite feature there is uh, ability to compare different branches in JIT log. Okay, yeah, that's pretty lo awesome. Lo local, local history, I'm sorry, so for interrupting local history is amazing also yeah i was definitely gonna say if you're talking about version control this idea of local history is cool let's take a step back for a minute and dig into the other ones just for a moment and then i want to talk about local history because that's really awesome so how do you guys do intellisense for for python like how does that how does that work in a dynamic language how does it work um intellisense in PyCharm works that way that uh, that when you write your code in PyCharm, it's parsed in real time and un analyzed this way uh, that PyCharm tries to understand what is your goal and uh, how to help you the best way. So it offers you code completion, it uh, reformats your code, it inserts uh, correct indentation, for example. So it, 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 it highlights... Of course, it highlights syntax errors, but um, beyond that, it also tries to warn you about some errors that are not so obvious. So if, for example, you reuse a variable uh, that you iterate through in a cycle, or if value is it could be undefined, um, how, how is it implemented? Well, more what, what I'm thinking is, you know, when I write Python code... I don't ever declare a type. I don't say, you know, int x equals 7. I just say x equals 7. And, you know, sometimes it's really obvious, right, when you declare it just like that. But sometimes, you know, there's a long chain of events that leads to data being passed from one stage to another, to another, to another, to finally being assigned to a variable. And it seems like you guys do a really good job of actually knowing what that's supposed to be. Yeah, we try to infer types for variables and uh we do it quite quite good, so it's it's called data flow analysis. So when 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 you write your code inside a function or a method, we trace we like trace the types of of all the variables. Yeah, I think that's that's really awesome, and I think that's one of the the benefits over things like Sublime Text, where if it sees you use some function or property of a something that looks like an object above, it'll sort of then suggest it later as intelligence, but it doesn't really understand like 
the way the whole program fits together. It's missing a lot of the cool stuff that, that you guys have there. I know you just announced support for Python 3.5. True. Yep. And, and that, in, that includes this thing called Python type hints. Yeah, actually, uh, uh, PyCharm team participated, was uh, involved, actually, in the process of uh, elaboration of this proposal. So That's really cool. Could you, maybe before I ask you a question about it, maybe you could tell everyone what those are. There is a um, PEP484, uh, so-called. Uh, this is initiative adding uh, declaration of typing into Python. So... Um, before there was no standard way to to annotate types, so it, it it was something uh, in starting from Python three, but it was very limited and couldn't be used extensive. In Python three point five, Guido Warner Rossum came came up with a proposal of elaboration of uh, standard notation for annotating types for arguments and variables. Yeah, so maybe an example would be I've got a function, say hello, right? Maybe the function is called say hello, and you give it a name and a time of day. How would I use type hints to maybe indicate that the name is always supposed to be some kind of string and the time of day is an integer or something like this? You uh, write uh, for for a date, you write a semicolon and then a date type. And to annotate the return value, you write an uh, um, error, so it's minus greater, and you write a, a return type. And actually, the main thing here is uh, that those type uh, types don't influence the runtime. So they are only for tools like PyCharm and for checkers, for different linters to validate your code, to find errors. Right, of course, yeah. So the type hints don't really change anything about how Python works as a language or an execution environment. But, you know, the reason I think they're interesting is for people like you and uh, other refactoring tools and, like you said, linters. What do you guys think about type hints in Python? You're a fan of it? Actually, I see it a bit controversial because in some sense it kills the spirit of Python. But um, I would not prefer that uh, all the Python sources become uh, full of type annotations because it would be not Python, it would be something different. But still, um, that is obvious that there is a need to annotate uh, standard libraries. And uh, in this uh, PEP484 proposal, there is a, a way to, to annotate types not in your source, but in separate, like, header files and i think that 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 would be beneficial if every um developer of a popular library would um, other than writing code would make this uh, type annotations for users of his library because it will uh, leverage the usage because people would be able to use uh, tools with code completion and it would be much much easier for them to learn the library so I think this this is the way to go, but uh, it, it it should be taken with care. Okay, I think that's a really good recommendation. Like maybe when I go to write code, if I'm just writing an app for myself, maybe I don't bother to do any of these type hints. But 
maybe the libraries that I'm consuming, especially the standard library, if it had that, those annotations, then that makes it much easier for me to kind of know what to do for linters to say, oh, it looks like you're passing a double. It expects an integer or something like this, right? Yeah. The, the, the greatest accomplishment of PEP484 uh, and Python 3.5, that uh, at, uh, in the long run, there is uh, a standard notation. So it's fixed now and it's quite advanced to express pretty much everything about types. Yeah, it's. I think you're right that this is going to be is and is going to be a controversial feature or of, of the language. But it's going to be interesting to see what happens over time. You know? Yeah, uh, because before, um, uh, why it's important to have this um, standard notation in PyCharm, we had uh, our own notation actually because we dealing with the type inference, we had to annotate some parts of. Uh, standard library on different libraries that uh, could not be inferred. So we, we had to annotate them and we we came up with our own notation and it was was not very good to, to invent your own wheel. So the PyCharm team actually has, before the type hints came along, you had done something else that is kind of like type hints for the standard library, just so that PyCharm could work correctly. Is this that's yeah, true. that's true. Uh, we we had to 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 do that to to be able to annotate uh, standard library to provide type inference in PyCharm. And and as far as I know, uh, Google had their own notation and set of uh, type annotations. So now it's great that we we can merge our efforts create a, a, a common repository of uh, type annotations. Like the, there is one for TypeScript as far as I know. So I think that that's a move in the right direction. Yeah, that's definitely a move in the right direction. Okay. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with this whole type hence thing. Because in my mind, it's really for people like you that are building tools to help us. And maybe when we're writing code, maybe type hints are just a thing that make our life a little bit better because our tools are better. Yeah. Maybe that's how that works. Sure. In PyCharm, you can run both Python 2 and Python 3. You also have really good support for virtual environments and virtual ints and things like that, right? You can actually, within the tool, say, I'm going to create a new project. And as part of creating this project, you know, set up a virtual environment based on either Python 2 or Python 3 or whatever. What other implementations do you guys support? Like, do you support PyPy? Sure, yeah. We, we, we do support PyPy and we support Jython and IronPython. Interesting. I didn't realize you por- supported Iron Python. I guess that would be a Windows only feature, wouldn't it? Yes, true. Since yeah, since since .NET at least in that variation of it only works on on Windows. This episode is brought to you by Upbeat. Upbeat is application monitoring for developers. It's performance monitoring, error logging, release tracking, and workflow in one simple product. Upbeat is integrated with your code base and makes monitoring and debugging of your production apps much faster and your code better. Upbeat is free for an unlimited number of users. And starting today, December 1st, Upbeat is announcing that their Flask support is graduating from beta to a full commercial product. Visit upbeat.com slash Flask to get started today.
So another thing that I think's cool is I can go to my project and go to my project settings and PyCharm, and it'll show me regardless of whether I'm using like a system level Python or I'm using like a virtual environment that was created, it'll show me all the packages that have been installed from pip and their versions and whether they're upgrades that I could potentially install and things like that. Right. Yeah, true. That's right. I remember when I was new to Python, I found that really helpful because you could go there and it's got like a little search dialogue and you can say, find me my package and then click to install it. And it'll kind of automate a lot of that stuff for you. Yeah. And, uh, you even can install it from your editor. If you have an resolve import, you can just press alt enter for example and uh will install this uh package uh to your active active python yeah yeah so maybe let's talk about alt enter for a little bit because alt enter is, is definitely one of the things that makes pycharm unique in my mind right so when you see problems in code or pep8 violations or maybe an import of a package that lives out on PyPI, but is not actually installed into the environment that you have active, PyCharm will suggest fixes, right? Right. In most cases, you just press alt enter and PyCharm uh, will fix it for you. Yeah. So like, for example, if I say import requests and then I start typing things and I don't actually have, say I'm in a virtual environment and I don't have requests installed in there, it would say, hey, here's here's a package you're importing and we know about it. We know it lives on PyPI, but you don't have it installed. Hit alt enter and we'll just install it for you. Yes, that's true. <laughs> or, you know, import the module if you've got it in your environment, but it's not actually the import keyword is missing or whatever. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I just think constant watching of, Hey, how can I help you? Right. A lot of times as programmers, we're dealing with lots of details and more putting pieces together just so, right? Like I've got to make sure I've got this package and its dependencies installed and I've got to have this import keyword appear just so. And, you know, I think a lot of the mental juggling that we have to do can go away if you have some kind of editor that says, oh, we've noticed that you didn't connect this piece here. Hit Alt-Enter and it it's connected. You know, like we realize you may have pip installed some library, but you didn't type import at the top, for example. Yeah, that's very handy. I, I I cannot even imagine how to how to um, program with, without it when you get used to it. So it's uh, <laughs> it's difficult. <laughs> it it totally is difficult, and you know, I do a ton of Python programming, of course. And the others work that I do is typically in C Sharp in Visual Studio, and I have exactly the same feeling when I'm over there. Like if I don't have ReSharp, where I'm like, oh, this thing is just partly broken. Yeah. <laughs> how how can I continue to work in this area? This yeah you know, this. This is barbaric if I have to go to the top of the file and type import or, you know, using or whatever, depending on the language. Yeah, that's awesome. So one of the things that's super important in in dynamic languages like Python is, you know, since there's no real compile step, there can be errors that are just not detected, right? Maybe even something as simple as a compiler would have detected it. But, but because it's not ever compiled, which is you know, working out really well for Python, but it means those errors don't get caught. So typically having some other way to catch them, like unit testing is, is really good. Sure. Unit testing is a... And do you guys have built-in support for unit testing yeah. and like code coverage and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, sure. Unit testing, I think, is a basic uh, thing when you deal with uh, dynamic language. Um, and yes, of course, PyCharm has um, support for 
uh, unit testing and uh, we support actually different test runners, not only unit tests, but nose tests and by tests and AT tests. And uh, what you can do is you can uh, run uh, your tests from PyCharm and you will see the results um, in a nice uh, formatted uh, tree and you can navigate directly to source to see uh, stack trace and of course you can debug your tests you can profile them you can see coverage results almost everything possible what you can imagine so profiling is interesting on show 28 we did a show about profiling python sort of from the command line and about that same time, I saw that you guys actually announced profiling support for PyCharm. And and that's pretty excellent. I've not had a chance to try it yet. How's that work? What, can you walk me through what like uh, I learn if I do profiling and how I do it in PyCharm? That's actually pretty simple to use. Uh, you just uh, press the profile button for your run configuration. And uh, uh, your process is executed with uh, C profile in, in, injected. And uh, as long as you want to capture a snapshot with your profile, profile data, you just uh, press a button, capture snapshot, and it's shown in PyCharm with statistics of what um, method, um, statistic for, for all functions, how long did it take for them to launch. And actually, we have a nice uh, visual representation in a graph form where the hotspots are colored with red, and you can just see what 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 is what is slow in your program. Yeah, the whole visual component of it, I think, is really important. Yeah, and unfortunately, uh, just after we um, made the first uh, attempt of um, making the integration with C profile, it appeared that it's too too limited and too basic to uh, add features, and uh, it was like a pity that. Uh, there, there, there were no uh, really good profiling backend in, in for Python because uh, C profile doesn't provide you a, a lot of information. But hopefully uh, this summer, uh, PyPy team has announced uh, VM Prof Profiler that uh, seems to be uh, much, much better and more advanced as a C profile and we we plan to uh integrate this one in PyCharm uh, as as long as it uh, will support uh, Mac OS X and Windows but they have plans to do that and we will collaborate together to make this happen. Oh yeah, that's going to be really excellent cuz it's already helpful and that'll be that'll be even better. Very nice. So another thing that you guys have support for is Vagrant. And I know of Vagrant, but I haven't really done anything with it. What's For everybody listening, what's Vagrant? Vagrant is basically a tool that eases the usage of virtual machines. Uh, so you can just uh, download an uh, image of your virtual machine and uh, start it up and launch your process inside. What, what, what we have done in PyCharm is that... Uh, in PyCharm, you can work with Python interpreter located inside your Vagrant virtual machine as if it is local interpreter. For example, uh, your desktop is Windows and you even don't have Python there at all. You just take Vagrant virtual machine image and in PyCharm you add a Python located in this virtual machine as a remote interpreter. 
And after that, yeah, you have uh, uh, all the features uh, of the ID. You can run your code, debug, uh, run your test profile, and uh, you have code completion. So everything. That's really cool. So like, say I'm on Windows and I don't have Python set up. I could have a vagrant virtual machine running Ubuntu with Python 3 installed, and I could just fire that up and it will automatically copy, say, my, my web app files over and then kick off Python on that machine and then attach to it remotely? Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's really cool. So you also announced Docker support. And in my mind, like Docker is like a slightly more lightweight, modern take on that same idea. Can you maybe talk about what you're doing with Docker? Yeah, true. Uh, it, it, it could be seen as uh, the same idea, but uh, it's uh, uh, people say about it that, that uh, Docker is uh, virtualization uh, without virtual, with actual virtualization. So Docker is uh, the technology of uh, containers. So it relies on uh, Linux core functionality to uh, isolate uh, processes from each other. The, the, there is a concept of Docker image. It's um, some set of configured uh, software and files. And uh, when you run this image, you get a container. So a container is a uh, running Docker image. And if you have several containers, they can run on, on the same Linux machine, but they don't interfere at all. Uh, every container has its own uh, file system uh, layers layer and uh, its own um, uh, network uh, configuration, so they don't interfere. And after this container finishes its work, it's uh, it's killed and so and removed, and uh, you don't need to dispose nothing. Yeah, I think Docker is really cool, and I think it's going to make a big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, so sorry that I forgot to say that the main advantage of Docker uh, is speed. If you, you, of course, for for the same purpose, you can use a virtual machine, for example, Vagrant with VirtualBox. But uh, to start virtual machine, it it can take minutes sometimes, and uh, starting a Docker container is just a second or a millisecond, so it could be really fast. And I think that's the main selling point. And what we do in PyCharm is we have pretty much the same integration with Docker as as with Vagrant. It's different under the hood, but it looks like the same. So you just add an interpreter inside your Docker image as a remote interpreter, and then you just run it or debug it or profile it and PyCharm executes your container and takes all the necessary information attached to the process if you want to to debug it and and so on. That's cool. So what do I need to do to get started with Docker and PyCharm? Like, do I need to go and install Docker on my machine? Can I do this on OS ten? Does, does it have to be done on Linux? What's the story there? You can do that on Windows and or Mac OS X and Linux. Uh, all you need is to install so-called Docker Toolbox. That is a set of software from Docker. It will install a Docker machine on your desktop. And uh, that's pretty much it. You just uh, take a PyCharm Professional Edition and you go to our settings at the remote interpreter and say that it should be Docker remote interpreter. And th- then you select uh, Python, for example, Python 3 
Docker image and press OK. So, and that's it. You can execute uh, your project uh, just with this image inside the container. Okay, that's really cool. I'm going to have to play with that because that's, that's something I've never looked into, but that sounds pretty awesome. So one of the things that I think is cool that PyCharm has is there's a bunch of community plugins. Like if I want to do like Markdown in PyCharm, there's probably a plugin I can get so that I can edit Markdown. Is that correct? Yeah, true. That there are a lot of plugins uh, and third-party plugins and JetBrains plugins in our plugin repository. Yeah, that's that's one of the things I like. And my favorite one, since I do a lot of training, but I also think is helpful even just if you're exploring parts of the tools that you don't know, is this thing called Presentation Assistant. Do you know that? Yeah, this one is nice. Yeah, it's nice. So every time you execute some kind of operation, like if I do a refactoring or a navigation or some sort of um, correct, you know, autocorrect, like pull in a missing um, import statement or something like this, or even if I go to a menu and I click it, it'll always show me, it'll do like a little transparent, semi or translucent overlay of what the actual keystroke that I would have had to do to make that happen is. And so when you're learning, like you can use the menus and the buttons and stuff, but if you just turn on this presentation assistant, it'll show you like how to do this all just straight from the keyboard, right? I think it helped me a lot become more proficient, but I think it's also helpful if you're doing a training class and you hit some keystroke and something funky happens, right? Like, well, the students will ask, like, how did you make that happen? And, you know, with that thing turned on, they'll see it. So, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, true. So you said there's other editors in there. Um, what is built in? Like, so I can obviously edit Python. You said HTML, JavaScript. Does it have support for things like Angular or yeah, types, yeah, TypeScript yeah. or things like that? Yeah, we do support... Um AngularJS and uh, TypeScript, yeah, and, and uh, much, much more. Uh, the, the, there is a support for many different uh, JavaScript frameworks. Yeah, cool. So TypeScript's interesting. Do you just support like the editing of it, or do you have some like compile step that'll transpile that into JavaScript so I can actually use it? Or do I have to do that outside of PyCharm? I'm actually not sure uh, about how this works in detail because I never use Type. TypeScript support my, myself and never developed it, but uh, for sure you can uh, compile TypeScript to JavaScript from from uh, PyCharm and WebStorm. This this uh, functionality comes into PyCharm from WebStorm. That's right. That's, I, okay, I see. That's part of the the integration between all the different IDE teams. Yeah, true. Yeah, cool. So one thing you talked about earlier that I thought was pretty cool and. The first time I saw it, I'm like, wow, this really, you know, several times it saved me from like messing up something bad is this, you know, obviously you have support for Git and Subversion and so on, but this thing you call local history. Do you want to tell people about local history? Yeah, local history is a cool feature. <laughs> it saved me several times from losing a portion of my work. Um, it is useful not very often, but when it is, um, it, 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 it can save you a ton of time. It's, what, what is it basically? It's a versioning of your local changes that even when they are not committed. For example, when you have your local changes lost due to some broken external tool or some JIT misuse, for example, when you accidentally reset everything. Or... 
or even if you don't have version, like if you're one of those people that are like version control, don't need that. Right. Just, just start yeah. editing. Right. So I, I hope that there is not much of the, the, <laughs> those people, but still, yeah. If, if, if somebody doesn't use version control, for example, uh, what PyCharm can offer is to restore your, or, or revert your changes to, to some point in, in, in the history. So you just uh, uh, open local history and you see all changes that happened with your files. And uh, this is a very detailed view. It shows uh, dif- differences between files and yeah. Yeah, the way I think of it is kind of like Git, but the Git that you didn't set up or think about or bother to interact with, right? So independent of whatever real source control you're using, there's like a separate automatic autosave type of version control that you can fall back on if you need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really helpful. Like you said, I probably use that once every two months, but when I do, I'm like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's even true. less, but I still really appreciate it when it works. <laughs> We're kind of getting towards the end of the show a little bit. And one of the things I think is probably more interesting than just the details. I, I wanted to talk about some of the details because there's just, I mean, we just barely touched on all the cool things that I think PyCharm can do. I wanted to talk about these so that people out there are like, there's this tool that can help so much, even though maybe it starts slower than Vim or Emacs or Sublime Text. You know, if you're willing to wait like two seconds, that's not really that long you get this great thing to help you write code and work on, especially large projects. You know, one of the things I hear a lot, obviously there's a bunch of people that like tools that help them a lot, but there's also people that just want super lightweight. So if if somebody came to you and said, Dimitri, you know, I think what you guys built is cool, but it's just not for me. I, I don't really need an IDE. I work on these big Python projects, but I, I've never needed an IDE. I just feel like they're in my way. Like, what would you say? Give give PyCharm a chance, or think about some kind of IDE that that's there to sort of support them. Uh, first of all, I just offer a person to try, but if he has already tried and uh, uh, for some reason find that he he feels more at home with Vim, uh, so uh, I don't know. It's it's also okay. I, I think that everybody choose uh, their own their own way to to develop. Applications. I th- think the right approach is uh, to try different things. So it's it's not it's not very effective when you're stuck with something and you don't try different things. I think even with somebody um, programs uh, uses PyCharm extensively, I think it's okay also to try different editors. You you can find different approaches and you can compare. So um, it's just better to to try. So uh, that's my, my, my philosophy. As, as I said before, I, I have done that with different languages. So when I <laughs> wanted to pick up a dynamic language, I just tried different things. So I think the, 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 the same thing applies to IDs and editors. If you look at any of the individual features, I don't think there's a single feature that would convince anybody that, hey, I should try this tool if, if they're kind of like, you know, IDs are not for me, right? If I... If I told you, hey, this thing has local history, they're like, yeah, I use Git. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> oh, this thing has code coverage. Well, I can use, you know, coverage.py and get that. And I, I think it's the the bringing it all together, like all, no single feature is like, they're great, but they're not that amazing. But, you know, 20 or 50 or 100 of them all at the same time 
is when it starts to be really an interesting tool for you when you're working in ID. So that's, that's kind of my my view of, of the benefits is no single feature is going to really make it worthwhile, but taken as a whole, they start to really add up. Yeah, true. I agree with you. That's, that's, that's true. There's always a couple of questions I ask my guests before we sort of wrap up the show. What, what's your favorite PyPI package or maybe project out on GitHub or something that is cool, maybe not everyone knows about, that you'd like to point out to the community? Actually, my favorite is coverage.py. I like it very much, and I contributed to it uh, at some moment unintentionally. <laughs> uh, if, uh, but it's very well known package actually. If to point something to people, I would notice uh, talks. I think that's very very useful when you want to test your Python projects on different environments and different pythons for example and uh, yeah the, 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 i've heard about such project that, uh, called detox which is basically talks but uh, executes uh, your tox tests uh, in parallel i never tried it but i think <laughs> the, the idea is cool so maybe it's wor- worth trying <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's pretty awesome so coverage py uh talks tox and yes. then detox yeah, yeah okay very nice well, thanks for recommendations. And then um, I think you might be biased on this one, but I always ask everyone what their favorite editor is. Are you an Emacs person, a PyCharm person, a Vim, Sublime Text? <laughs> yeah, it is. It is PyCharm, of course. <laughs> of course. All right. That's awesome. So before we go, do you have any like calls to actions, things you'd like people to to do, know about? Try PyCharm if you, if you did not yet, if you haven't, and... Uh, Please say us what you think. So we are, we do listen our users, and th- the things that our users tell us are very important. So, okay, yeah, that's that's cool. If um, we have feedback for you, how do we give it to you? There are different channels. Uh, you can submit uh, issues and feature requests to our tracker, or you can write our support. Or there is a forum. Um, I would prefer to write uh, directly to issue tracker and vote 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 for features because there are a lot of features and feature requests in our tracker already um, and actually we do look at votes when when we consider uh, f- features for the next uh, version to, to be included in the roadmap. Okay, excellent. Well, it's been really fun to talk to you about PyCharm. It's, it's quite a project you guys put together there. Thank you. It was a pleasure to talk with you. Yeah, thanks for being on the show. See you later. This has been another episode of Talk Python to Me. Today's guest was Dmitry Trofimov, and this episode has been sponsored by Hired and Opbeat. Thank you guys for supporting the show. Hired wants to help you find your next big thing. Visit Hired.com slash TalkPython to Me to get five or more offers with salary and equity presented right up front and a special listener signing bonus of $4,000. Opbeat is mission control for your Python web applications. Keep an eye on errors, performance, profiling, and more for your Django and Flask web app. Tell them thanks for supporting the show on Twitter where they are at Opbeat. Did you know you can personally support the show too? Just visit patreon.com slash mkennedy and join over 60 listeners who contribute between $1 and $2 per episode. You can find the links from the show at talkpython.fm slash episodes slash show slash 36. And be sure to subscribe to the show. Open your favorite podcatcher and search for Python. We should be right at the top. 
You can also find the iTunes and direct RSS feeds in the footer of the website. Our theme music is Developers, Developers, Developers by Corey Smith, who goes by Smix. You can hear the entire song on talkpython.fm. This is your host, Michael Kennedy. Thanks again for listening. Smix takes out of here. Stating with my voice, there's no norm that I can feel within. Haven't been sleeping, I've been using lots of rest. I'll pass the mic back to who rocked it best. Developers, developers.